we're in our second to last sermon uh, in this series on the Gospel of Mark, which we've been doing most of this year. Um, we'll finish up next week. We're going to be in Mark chapter 15, starting at the 40th verse and ending at the 47th verse. You can read along or listen, whatever, whatever suits you. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have died. He should have already died. <clears throat> and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word to us and for us this morning. God, we pray that our eyes would be open to see with the eyes of disciples. Help us to hear, to listen, and to respond. Would you help us to see what Jesus has done for us, accomplished for us? Help us to love him and trust him all the more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. I, uh, I'm preaching this passage because I messed up in my planning. I meant to preach two sermons on Mark 14, and I didn't. And I meant to end the series next week. So I needed another week. And I, I looked at Mark chapter 15, and I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to talk about Holy Saturday. I'm going to talk about the burial of Jesus. Otherwise, quite honestly, we probably would have just blitzed right through this, because that's what you normally do when you read Mark 15, when you read what happens in the events of the Passion Week, you're, you're pretty much trying to get right through this strange bit as much as possible. Um, but there, this is sort of in the calendar for a reason. This, the, the events that we call the events of Holy Saturday are not something to just skip by, but they really have meaning. And I'm, I'm hoping to pull out that meaning for you. Uh, if you've missed what's happened just before this, Jesus has just been crucified. And these women who have followed him for, for the, the duration of his ministry have followed him to the cross. They, they want to um, minister to his body to give him an appropriate sort of burial, and it's also a little hook, an indication for what's going to happen in Mark chapter 16, because these women will be involved in what happens in Mark chapter 16. 
Uh, Jesus is crucified on a Friday, but because of the, the reckoning for the Jewish people of when days begin and end, the Sabbath has not begun yet. It's about to begin with sundown. So Joseph is trying to get the body down and buried before it's sundown because that's work. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And so they complete the burial of Jesus before Sabbath arrives. And then there is the entirety of this next day. For us, what it feels like the next day. Uh, Jesus being dead, in the grave, buried. And the story just sort of hangs there, waiting for what might it mean. Why? Why is it like this? Why, if the whole, the whole point is that Jesus would be crucified, he would be resurrected, why is there this pause in the story? It feels sort of like a, a waste of time. He could have just been dead, jumped on to the next part. Uh, if, you're, if you're somebody for whom Easter means a lot, usually you go to a Good Friday service, which is emotional, it's eventful, it takes up time probably in a Friday evening. You know what you're doing on Sunday. You're going to church. Hopefully you're partying on Sunday, having a, having a nice feast, the first of many feasts in the Easter season. So what are you doing on Saturday? Probably chores, probably laundry, cleaning your house because you're ready to host. You're just sort of killing time and not really thinking about anything. In our minds, in our bodies, it feels like nothing is going on on this day between Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. But something is happening here that's important. In fact, it's so important that in early, the earliest Christian creeds, they take time to mention specifically this part. That he was crucified, he was buried, and then it says the strangest thing. He descended to the dead, maybe he descended to hell, depending on the translation that you're looking at. And it's talking about the events of, of this day, Holy Saturday. Why was Jesus buried? Why the pause? Why is this a matter of essential Christian confession? Well, first of all, he, he goes to the grave because that's where all dead people go. I mean, that's sort of the basic answer. It's the most obvious common sense answer. But it's important to pay attention to what we are saying when we say that. Jesus actually died. He, he didn't die or appear to die. He didn't die for a moment. He didn't lapse into a, a state of temporary deadness. Jesus died like every other person ever died really and truly. And by the time you're this far into the Gospel of Mark, that, that is an audacious and incredible statement. What the Christians will say about him is that this one is the second person of the Trinity, the one who Paul will say, by whom and for whom all things were made. He is the fountainhead of life itself. He is the light of the world, which has stepped down into the darkness to, 
shine his light into the world. This one, this is the one, the Son of God, that Jesus. He dies. He ceases to breathe. His heart stops. There's no brain activity. He is dead. And so that there is no mistaking the, the extent of his deadness. He stays dead all of Saturday. He enters the tomb. He enters the place of the dead. And what happens from there, as a matter of speculation, the Bible is often, I tell my students, not interested in the questions that you and I are interested in. What we want to know oftentimes is like, how does this work? Jesus, eternal son of God, how, what does it mean for him to die? What is he doing in this moment? And the Bible does not shed a ton of light on what is going on. We have a couple verses in 1 Peter chapter 3 where Peter says this strange thing about Jesus descending down into the depths and preaching to the spirits who are imprisoned there. And what the, the church will try and attempt to describe, will guess at, in a sense, is that Jesus, by the, his presence in the place of the dead, is liberating the people who were in the gloomy, shadowy world of death, but who had died as people trusting in the God of Israel, and in, in whom all of their hopes are now fulfilled. J.I. Packer will describe it as when Jesus descends into the place of the dead, his presence makes Hades a paradise. And those people who had only looked forward in anticipation and trust and only seeing through shadows for the entirety of their Old Testament faith, now in their death see with crystal clarity the anchor of their hope. And they are set free. Because Jesus goes to be buried and he's, he's dead. For all of those who've gone before, he goes where he goes. Why is Jesus buried? What does it have to do with us? Because we're, we're not that group of people. We're not amongst the people who were buried before Jesus came. When you think of Jesus' tomb, when you think of that stone rolled over this rich man's tomb, given to bury the shamefully executed one, you, I think, you and I are best served to think on our baptism. And this is where things may feel surprising to you. Because you don't think about this step in Jesus' story, in the story of the Gospels, as naturally what I'm going to think about now is the thing with the water. But the way that the New Testament talks about baptism most consistently and most frequently is that of the death of Jesus. When you think of baptism... You and I are, because of the place and time that we live, we are inclined to think of baptism as basically something that you stand up and say something about what you believe about God. I am baptized because I believe in Jesus, essentially. 
And that, that way of thinking is, is why when we baptize babies, it feels so foreign and so wrong for so many people because those babies don't believe anything except that they are hungry or they want their diaper changed. But when the New Testament speak of baptism, it mostly does not talk about baptism that way. It is not something as a statement about what you believe or want to do for God. It is instead the opposite. It is something that God does for you. It is a statement of God and his belief about you. And the way that the New Testament writers will talk about what is happening in that baptism, the image that they will use, they will reach for again and again, is the grave. So let, let me just read you the, the, the text that I read every time I do a baptism, baby or adult. This is Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul, Paul is helping you and I understand that what God wants to do for his people is to stop you and I living our stories on our own terms, on our own grounding, on our own two feet, and instead wants to take the story of my life and of your life and everybody who puts their trust in Jesus and what he is going to do for you as a gift to you is to wrap up your story in the story of Jesus so that it is not your story anymore. But instead, you have been incorporated into the story of the Son of God. So now, it is, I would say, right and good for all Christians to read Mark 15, to all, read all the accounts of the Gospels in an entirely different way. Something that is happening to Jesus in his burial, in his death, and his staying dead on Holy Saturday is, in, in a real sense in the language of the New Testament, happening to you is something that has happened to his people because you were buried with him. What do we mean when we say these things, confess these things, believe these things? It's an important thing for you to, to unpack, to meditate on, to look at regularly. Martin Luther talks about how basically, essentially, the, whole, the entirety of Christian life is a daily unpacking of their baptism. Because the entirety of my life is now encapsulated in the story of Jesus. Against what I feel in sense about myself and about the world. 
Because what your baptism is saying about you is the entire record of what, what Paul would say is your old self, your, your flesh, life on your own two feet, determined by your own work, determined by your own hands. That life is gone. And by God's own reckoning and God's own decision, that whole thing that I was all by myself, the whole thing that I earned by my own work, it is put in the ground with Jesus. That thing that is and was me in a real sense is buried and no longer accounted by God as living. It is a dead thing. Now, my experience says something different. My experience says, I'm alive and well. Life by my own will, life according to my own story, life made by my own two hands is pretty much all it feels like I'm doing almost every moment of every single day. And this is why baptism and its physical nature, the actual touchable water of it, is so important for you and for me. And it's also why it's so important that it's something that's only meant to happen one time. Because the physical waters that are put upon our body is a thing that happened in history. Whether I feel like it or not, whether I am really good at living up to the commands of Jesus or not, and I'm often not, that does not change the, the, the history of the matter. My own actions in the world doesn't change what actually happened to me when the waters of my baptism went upon my body. That happened to me and was not about me. So even in my very worst moments, I might want to stand before God and say, look, I don't know where I stand with you because look at me. I'm a mess. I've been a horrible person for the whatever many thousand days in a row. I've done it again. Surely now I must fix how I stand with you. And what my baptism says is I don't get to have the say in the matter. Who I am before God is not about me. Who I am before God is not about who I am in that moment. It is not about me at my worst. It is not about me at my best. Who I am before God has been pulled out of the grave in which my old self was buried. Jesus was buried, was dead for more than a moment, put in a tomb for more than an hour so that I would begin to understand and to believe that when God says to me, in Christ, your old self is dead, I would know exactly what he meant. And when the waters of my baptism are something I can recall with my memory, there, I know that there is nothing that I have done, can do, or will do that can erase the thing that has been irrevocably done in history. I feel differently about myself from moment to moment. But God feels about me something that is entirely unwavering and unchanging. Because the status of who I am is no longer measured by me. It is now entirely about the Son Himself. Jesus was buried 
for me. Jesus was buried for you. And now all of the objections that you might have, all of the things that the the devil, the enemy, the accuser will lie to you and tell you are the things that matter most to God. All of those things have been chucked in a tomb and rolled over by a giant stone. The accuser will come to me and come to you and say, how can you think that God would look at you with anything approaching delight or acceptance. You see the darkness of your heart. And you know that most of the time, you don't even see the depths of that darkness. You've sinned without even paying attention. How can you think that God would want anything to do with you? And what you need to be able to say when you hear that voice, is not an opinion based upon your feeling about what you would like to do or believe about God. What you need to be able to say is the truth. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I did deserve the depths and the darkness and the perils of my sin. And who I was was buried with Christ so that I might be seated with God, not afraid or abased upon my own ability in this moment, but absolutely secure because of Jesus. And I have been accepted and approved of hearing from the Father the same words that were given to Jesus at his baptism that are my own inheritance forever at mine. This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. That is the truth that extinguishes the lie of the accuser. Jesus was buried. Holy Saturday is on my calendar and yours. He descended to the dead for me. Today and the grave is where every single person in this room is going. You're all going to die. Hopefully a long time from now. Many, many years. You will die when you're 150, breathing your last, in your sleep, holding the hands of a loved one. I'm sure that's where we're all headed. You are going to die, as has every single other person in this room. And some of you think about that all the time. and You are terrified by it. You arrange your life around that fact. You are paralyzed by it or you are frantic because of it. Some of you never think about that fact. But you are driven by that reality day by day, soaking the most out of the pleasures of this life as much as you can. 
because the grave is stalking you, it is haunting you, and it will come for you. And Jesus was buried for my future because I know that when Jesus said to me, I will never leave you or forsake you because of this day that is Holy Saturday. He means in that place too. So the grave, though it would haunt every single person, now changes in its meaning for all of those who have been baptized into Jesus' name. So now, the place where I will be buried, it is not a place of the final defeat of my life. It is merely a pause. So the world itself is pregnant and waiting for the final fulfillment of the work of Jesus. Because not only was I buried with Jesus in that tomb, but Jesus' own resurrection out of that tomb means that my tomb is one, a place where I will meet Jesus. He is waiting for me on the other side of my final breath. The final last beat of my heart will be met on the other side by the one who is my Savior, who has gone down into the depths of the grave and will not abandon me there. Though he was abandoned in his tomb, though he was left in his tomb, he will not leave me and he will be waiting for me and I will be safe with him. And he will not make that the end of my story. But instead, he will not only meet me in my tomb, but on the other side of my tomb, he will call me out of that tomb. And I will live bodily. Jesus was buried for all of those who'd gone before. He was buried for me today. And he was buried for me for when I face my own burial in the future so that the tomb will never hold its power over humanity ever again. Jesus went into the grave to destroy the grave. Jesus ushered me into his grave so that I would be buried in it and would be brought out of it to live a different kind of life. He put his name on my body and he has claimed my body for himself and he will not leave my body in the grave but he will instead call me out of the grave that he has destroyed, claiming what is rightfully his now and forever. When you see Jesus buried in the tomb, this is a moment of Jesus' conquest. This is Jesus' moment of solidarity with all of those who mourn and who grieve. And why we are able to hear the words of the early church that says we weep, but we weep like those who have hope. We suffer in the night, just like our Savior suffered in the night. But because Jesus was crucified, buried, and then resurrected, we weep with hope. And if today you are caught in the darkness of today, you are caught in the darkness of what it means to stand before God, and you have heard the voice of the accuser. You know that you're a Christian. You know that you belong to Jesus. You know that in your mind, but you hear the voices pushing and pressing in and telling you there is no way that you are his. Today you are meant to see the tomb of Jesus and know that you were entombed there in your baptism. 
And you are invited to have confidence, not in yourself, but upon Jesus. The thing that your baptism promised to you, he absolutely delivers, 100% secure for you now and forever. The liar is lying to you because that is what he does. You do not have to agree with him anymore. And you can tell yourself the gospel that is the good news for you now and forever. I have been crucified in Christ and it is in him that I now live. And if you are here today caught under the weight and the darkness of the future that is coming upon you, the fear of your own death, the mourning of having lost others that you have buried, you are not meant to face the grave all alone. The grave is horrible and devastating and painful in its power. But the power of Jesus gives you hope that transcends the grave's power. And it has ultimately been stripped of all of its hold on you. And if that is hard for you to believe, like it is so easy to understand that it would be hard for you to believe, it is for you that Jesus was buried. It is for you that Holy Saturday is on the calendar. And he will be faithful to you, even in the face of your fears. Today, if you are facing the realities of your own death, the power of your own sin, and you are doing it without Jesus, today, I'm going to tell you the truth. You are going to die, and you will face it all alone. In that moment, your power, your prestige, the relationships of other people, your wealth, your pleasures, your comfort, it's gone. And you will face your death just as you face your birth, but without the mother to hold you, helpless and defenseless. You don't have to face it that way. You don't have to. Because what Jesus would say to you is that he would do the work, the heavy lifting for you ahead of time. And so then when you face that moment, you will not be alone. If you will put your trust in him, if today you are tired of trying to stand before God all by yourself, if today you are tired of contemplating your end all by yourself, you do not have to be alone anymore. If you hear his voice, that has triumphed over the grave and spoken a better word over you. Do not harden your heart, but instead turn and receive from him all of the riches of what it means to be a son or daughter of God. And his promise to you will be the same that it is to me. 
I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. And Jesus is the one that you can trust until the very end. Do it. And he will be with you. Let me pray for us. Living God, we give you thanks for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus and given to us in his life, death, and resurrection. Thank you for dying for me, for being buried for me, for being resurrected for me. Thank you that the thing that was said to me at my baptism, words I, I can't remember, words that I was too small to hear, they're, they're irre, irrevocably true, that I am in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because of the work of the Son. That is amazing and such a gift. Father, I pray that today we would reflect back upon the promises given over to us, the sign that was applied to our own bodies, a seal and a pledge of your work towards us. God, I pray that today in us, the power of the grave will be broken and stripped away. Every place that is clawed back in us, the fears the desperation for pleasure. God, I pray that that power will be broken all over again and that we, though up and down people, would rest secure in the fixed work of Jesus. And Father, I pray for those who are contemplating their own death, their life before you and with others without you. Maybe there are people who've been church people for a long time, Maybe they grew up in a church, but they've never trusted you. God, I pray that you would help them to know that for them, whether they have heard about you their whole life or not at all until today, I pray, God, that they would hear and see that you never meant for them to face those things all on their own, that in fact, you yourself would take upon the burden of all of that to be with them now and forever. Lord Jesus, you are the great hope of your people, the center point of history for the past and present and future. You were buried for us, and in your resurrection is our triumph now and always. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.